Miracles still happen. Can you believe that? The U.S. government getting anything done in 24 hours? Phenomenal. I believe that. And uh, another miracle, my family and I uh, didn't go on one of these spring break trips this year, but we actually drove to California. Yeah, I hear, you hear that. We drove to California and back, and we still like each other. So, uh, miracle of God. Actually, we had a blast. Um, on the last day we were there, uh, I know I had fun. I actually rented a surfboard and a wetsuit for an hour and uh, tried my hand at surfing, and it was awesome. I just got to tell you, it was so fun. Um, but there are a lot of things wrong with that picture. Uh, uh, in fact, I learned a few things that day. Um, the first is uh, that if you're a first-timer trying to hang 10, um, high tide is not the time to do it. And secondly, the really big waves that come sometimes during high tide, when you're trying to paddle out to go catch a wave, um, you don't try to go over those waves. I learned this the hard way. Uh, you actually have to go through them after I was beaten and tossed and turned and thrown all around for about 45 minutes. I learned you don't go over those big waves. You have to go through those waves. Um, and I also learned that surfing is a lot easier <laughs> when you're standing on the beach. So... Uh, all those pictures of me surfing are basically right there with some various amounts of water coming towards me. So, But I had a lot of fun, and I was thinking about you know this teaching series and, and in life, how we have these waves that come into our lives, they roll into our lives. Sometimes they're enormous waves of tragedy and crisis, just like we know, like the Bartlett's experienced last summer. Sometimes it's a, it's a diagnosis of cancer for ourselves or, or maybe for one of our children. Maybe it's a time when you discover that, that your son or daughter is, is using drugs or, or you lose a job suddenly or your wife or husband comes home and, and, and says we're done. I'm filing for a divorce. We have these waves, these huge things that come into our lives and it's impossible to avoid them. We can't go over them. We can't get around them. We have to simply go through them. The good news is that God doesn't want these events to derail us, right? He doesn't want to use these, these events to wipe us out. He actually wants to help us in the midst of these crises and these tough times. And this morning, as Tim mentioned, as Doug said, we're starting this six-week series called Derailed. It's actually aimed at helping all of us deal better with these crises and these tragedies, these waves that roll into our lives and help us to walk through and help us to help others walk through with God six stages of grief and loss and disappointment. Those six stages our shock, sorrow, struggle, surrender, sanctification, and service. And this morning, we're going to talk here in the gym about shock and how we get through shock. Because in some way, at some time in your life, through waves of loss, we are all going to experience and be thrown into a state of shock. Right? Sometimes we spend longer in this stage than some of our friends do. Sometimes we get caught spinning around in a circle, like an endless cycle, it seems like, of shock. And sometimes we see some of our friends and family members who are able to move quickly through shock, onto surrender and onto struggle and some of those things. This is not a series about a prescription of some formula to help you move through in a set amount of time each of these stages, but it's more of a description of how God wants to help us through each of these stages, how he meets us in the middle of our pain, wants to move us from that shock all the way to use our pain for our good, for his good, for his glory, for the good of other people. 
Years ago, I remember Ed Baker actually teaching that we cannot avoid the storms that roll into our lives, and no one is immune from this. The author of Ecclesiastes actually confirms this and captures this idea. He says this, No one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Jesus himself said, In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Here's the truth. Right now, each one of us in this room, those, of the, those people who are watching or listening online, our neighbors, our friends, we're all in one of three places right now. You either know somebody who's in a state of shock or in the middle of a crisis. You yourself are in a crisis this morning or in a state of shock. Or you will be in crisis and experience shock soon. You might be headed for a crisis today that you don't even know about, that you're not even prepared for. It could be a financial crisis or a health crisis, relationship. What are you going to do when that crisis rolls into your life? How will you prepare for that? Shock is unavoidable. It's often the first thing we experience when something bad happens. And and we see this all throughout the Bible. God's people are not immune to shock and to grief. We see this in the prophet Ezekiel. He says this. He says, I sat for seven days shocked at what had happened to me. Isaiah experienced it too. I'm in terrible pain. I'm shocked. And I hurt so much that I can't hear or see. My head spins. Early evening, my favorite time, has become a nightmare. And King David, in shock over loss, says, I'm in total darkness. As someone long dead, my heart is heavy, and I feel numb all over. I had no idea that the prophets were such you and I Panthers fans. They had captured this long before we knew what was going to happen in that Texas A&M game. Last June, my very good friend, a leader, a mentor in my life, Dave Bartlett, calls me on a sunny afternoon. His voice is shaky and weak. And he tells me that his son and his grandchildren had just been killed in an accident in Florida. Shock. Shock for Dave, shock for his family, shock for me. I hung up the phone. I had no idea what to do, what to say. How do you help Dave? What does Dave do? What do you do in a moment like this? There are no words. It's just, it's just shock. We see in the stories in the Bible that God wants to help us in these times of shocks. And more importantly, he wants us to be able to help others in our time with shock. That's why we're teaching this series. After I hung up the phone with Dave, I sat there for quite a few minutes before I finally uh, reached out to Doug. And I called Doug, a good friend of mine here. And we said, what are we going to do? How are we going to help Dave? And and. So what, one of the things we did, we got together and we decided we're going to call some churches who have experienced shock or maybe have had a leader who's experienced shock and what did they do to help that leader. And one of the people we called, uh, one of the places we called was Saddleback Church. Their pastor, Rick Warren, author of Purpose Driven Life, had actually experienced sudden death of his son a couple of years ago. He had experience in dealing with shock. They had experience with helping somebody deal with that shock. And they actually are the ones who taught this series about going through these six stages. And so it was so powerful, we thought we would bring it to our congregation. 
And so we're talking today about three things, about number one, what we do when we face our own shock, but how we, oh, number two, how we can help others through shock. And three, is there a way that we can prepare to better absorb shock when crises roll into our lives? So first I want to talk about how we actually help our friends who may be in a state of shock. Because that was the very heart of Jesus' ministry, wasn't it? I mean, Jesus commanded his followers to love God, but also to love others as you love yourselves. That's the law of God. That's the, the law and the commandment that all the other laws and prophets hang upon. And, and Paul, one of the first apostles, the founder of the church, he actually helps us understand how we do this, how we love others well. He says this to the Galatians. He says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Paul's saying that one of the ways that we love others is by helping them deal with the heavy stuff that comes into their life, like shock. And when we do this, we actually fulfill God's law. God actually works through our love to restore order and to help others move through shock toward this surrender and sanctification and to using their pain and suffering for his service. And the first thing I think we need to remember about love is that love is more than a feeling. Love is a verb. Love does. So what does love do? I think we get a great picture, especially what does love do when people are in shock. I think we get a great picture of this in the book of Job, especially at the very beginning of the story. You guys may remember Job. You may know who he is. He's a man who had everything, family and fortune. He had fame, right? And he had it all. And he lost it all. In a single day, a guy comes and tells him that, that all of his, his cattle, all of his servants, they've been stolen by terrorists, and his servants have all been killed. And while he's getting this news, another messenger comes to him and says, your kids and your house have just been destroyed by a freak desert storm. That's shock. Another day, soon after, he loses his health. He's covered with boils. His wife tells him, you ought to curse God and die. Those are the words of shock. But then what happened? What happened next? His friends get word of this, and they put love into action. We read in Job chapter 2, verse 11, when Job's three friends heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go out and sympathize with him and comfort him. Now forget about what you may have heard about these friends and how they respond later in the story. When you have a friend in shock, this is a good practice. You show up. That's the first thing. Just simply show up. Freshman year in college, middle of my first year, I get a phone call one night, and one of my longtime friends' dad, he's a cross-country coach at, at Hudson, and it was after a meet, he just collapsed and died suddenly. I had a huge sociology test midterm the next day. I knew that it, even rescheduling it the, because of the way the professor had laid it out, I'd lose uh, 10% automatically just for rescheduling. Didn't even give it a second thought. I just packed up my car and headed for Cedar Falls. I had no idea what I was going to do when I got there. And I got there, the room was already full of other people who just simply, as friends and family, just simply showed up. That's what friends do when they discover someone has just lost 
somebody very important to them or maybe has just lost a job or just experienced something else difficult. You don't stand on the sideline and wait for an invitation. You go and you show up. It's called the ministry of presence. And it's powerful. You may have no idea what you're going to say, what you're going to do when you get there. I certainly didn't. In fact, when my friend came to the door that night, I just started weeping. I started weeping on his doorstep. And I reached out and I gave him a hug. And I hugged his mom. And I had no idea what a biblical response that actually is. You read this in Job. Listen to how his friends respond. Verses 12 and 13. When they saw Job from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. I didn't have any dust with me that night. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. And no one said a word. Because they saw how great his suffering was. This is the second thing you do when you see a friend in shock. You share their pain. Job's friends just show up and they start weeping. The tearing of the clothes, the pouring of the dust, that was their custom. That was their way of saying, we are entering into this with you. We are here with you. We are here for you. Seven days, seven nights, not a single word. They were in it for the long haul. Have you ever experienced something like that? Have you ever moved out in that way for a friend? This is what it looks like when people mourn with those who mourn. You don't need words to do it. In fact, sometimes it's best to show up and just shut up. I never know what to say anyway. There's no words that can, can help in a situation like that. In fact, Pastor Rick Warren, he said something that he realized, a great deep truth in the midst of his own shock. It's worth writing down. It's worth remembering. He says, the greater the grief the fewer words needed. The greater the grief, the fewer words you need to share. When a friend is in deep, deep pain, they don't need your words. They need your touch. They need your presence. They need your presence right with them. If a friend stubs a toe, you know, or he watches his team blow a 12-point lead in the final 33 seconds of a game, you can talk to him. You can share some words for a few minutes. You can help them move on. But when the grief is great, there are no words. There's just touch. There's tears. That's what people in shock need. And so does their family. Don't forget about the family who's also going through their own pain. And the third thing is that you can do for someone in shock is you take the initiative. In Proverbs, we read this, Whenever you possibly can, do good to those who are in need. Jesus' friend John tells us, do this, right? Use, use action. Again, love is a verb. Love does. He says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In other words, take initiative. Do whatever good you can, you can do. Whatever you can think of. Run errands. Babysit. Prepare a meal. I know when my friend Grant Wheeler died, a number of years ago, a bunch of us just went. We showed up at the house. We've got some groceries. We've got some food to make sure the other people who were coming had something to eat. Chris didn't have to worry about that. Made sure it was full. And then Grant lived on an acreage, and he had some outbuildings. He had a, he had a barn and, and a garage and all this stuff. And some of us, the barn was about ready to blow over, so we kind of walked out to see what was in the barn, and we opened the door. It's like, oh, my gosh, Grant, what are you doing? Grant was a bit of a hoarder. <laughs> 
It was full, top to bottom, side to side, with you know parts for for cars and trucks and partial cars and trucks stacked on top of each other, and all these tools and all this hardware that he'd, all this junk that he had just collected over the years. It would have taken Chris six months to even begin to clear some space in that. And we just decided then and there, get out your calendars, guys. What weekends are we going to come up, show up, and start cleaning out this garage? We set it up and we started doing piles of stuff. You know, this is a junk pile to take to the trash. This is maybe saved for later. This is maybe has some value. Maybe you can sell some of this stuff. And we let Chris kind of help us decide what went where. But we took the initiative and we went and cleaned out that garage before that garage became a greater problem to add to her struggle. We saw Dave's friends do the same thing last summer. You know, we saw a friend who, who actually donated some frequent flyer miles to buy a ticket so the family could, could fly home. And one of the concerns then was the car would be left there. Four crazy guys got in the car in a 37-hour round trip to Florida and back. They went and got Dave and Linda's car and brought it back. Your friends do things like this. They just show up and they take the initiative. This is one of those times where it doesn't do any good to ask, hey, how can I help you? Or call me if you need anything, right? Someone in shock isn't thinking very clearly. They don't need the burden of you asking them to help you help them, right? They're not thinking straight. They're numb. They need you to help them. Give them some options. Like, hey, we can clean out the garage this weekend or next weekend. We can put this in this pile or that pile. But you show up and you take action. Now, we know that some of you this morning are right in the middle of this. We know that a number of you walk in every Sunday morning. There's a number of people who walk in and they're in the midst of their own shock. They have their own broken heart. You're numb. You're at a loss for what to do next. It's like you're in your fog, in a fog. Some of you don't even know why you're here. I believe that God has invited you here. And I know that we are glad that you're here because we want to enter into this with you as a church, as a church body. So let's talk about it. I want to burden you with things that you need to do right now, but I want to give you some encouragement of things that you might be able to do in your time of shock if this is where you're sitting this morning. And the first thing I want to encourage you to do is, is you need to cry out to God. You can cry out to God and he will hear your cry. The Psalms verify this for us. Full of stories of people crying out to God and God himself promises to hear our cries. He says this in Psalm 50 verse 15. He says, call to me in your day of trouble and I will rescue you and you will honor me. I think about Peter when he starts sinking in the ocean and he's freaking out and he's in shock right then and he just says two words, says three words, Lord, save me and Jesus reaches out. And saves him. Again, verifying that God sees us in trouble and he there is there to help us. We actually honor God when we call to him and ask him for help. There's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to people's cries, crying out to God. It's called Lamentations. It gives us this encouragement. It says, get up, cry out in the night, cry all through the night. Pour out your heart like water in prayer to the Lord. Lift up your hands in prayer for him. And one of the things I know is that when you're in shock, again, you often even don't know what to say. How do I even cry out? What do I say to God? I get that. And we heard Dave tell stories about how he would just groan all the way to Florida. He had no words. That groaning, the spirit turns into prayers for us. I know that when Grant died, I laid in bed night after night for weeks. Because you don't sleep very well when you're in shock. 
and I'd doze a little bit and I'd wake up and I just was feeling this deep sense of pain and loss. And God started bringing to my mind the words to a song that we were singing at the time in the church called In the Secret. And the words just were, I want to know you, God. I want to see your face. I want to touch you. I want to hear your voice. And it was like the Spirit just brought this to my mind, like knowing my deepest, most desperate need was I needed to encounter Jesus in this moment. And these words would just go over and over again in my mind as a prayer, crying out to God. And God actually met me in that moment. He saw me. He heard my cries. He comforted me. In fact, one night he gave me a dream that to this day, when I think back, it gives me so much encouragement, so much assurance of his ability to rescue us and deliver us when we're in trouble. So one of the things we want to do this morning, before we go any further, is we actually want to give you some time and space right here in this service to practice this, to to cry out to God. Some of you need to do this desperately. You're in the middle of your own grief and disappointment. I'm going to invite Tim to come and he's going to play a little bit of music for us. Um, Sometimes that can help us as well. Um, Maybe you aren't in shock. Maybe it's your friends or your family's concerns that you want to cry out on their behalf. Um, Maybe you don't even know anybody, but I I want you to know that our team from Haiti came back after experience some tragedy over there in their spring break trip this year. In fact, one of our friends, a a key member of one of their teams at UCI, passed away suddenly after a service while they were there. I know that at at, at Food for the Hungry in Mozambique, we just had to call off our mission trip just this week because of potential political violence in the area. As troops are moving back in, many of our sponsored children and their families being displaced and scattered There's shock there. Maybe we can cry out on behalf of our partners in these two areas of the world. But I just want to give you a couple of minutes right now in your seats to cry out to God that he will come and deliver us. And I'll come back and we'll wrap up here in just a couple of minutes.
Father, I want to thank you that you see us, that you hear us right now in this moment, that you hear the cries of your people. Pray that you wouldn't stay long from coming and entering into that pain with us, that it wouldn't be long before we sense you're with us, before we see your face, before we are able to touch you and have something to hang on to. We pray that you meet our friends and our family who are dealing with shock and grief right now. That you come and be a very real presence in their lives. That you fulfill your promise to rescue your people. And that as we cry out, we would honor you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Tim. When you're in shock, you need to cry out to God. He's faithful to hear us. He will deliver us in our times of trouble. The other thing I want to encourage you to do if you're in a state of shock right now is to let others help you. Let your friends come in and help you. I I beg you, don't hide it. Don't try to walk it alone. Don't pretend it didn't happen or it isn't happening. It did happen. It is happening. I know that goes against your natural reaction. The first thing you want to do often is just get away by yourself. You want to withdraw. You want to isolate a little bit. Your friends who want to help you can actually help you do that. They can take some of the things that you need to do. They can do those for you, allow you to turn to God and get alone with God or allow you to get alone with your family and some other people who are close to you if you let them do some of those things. You also just need community. You need those people who love you to bring encouragement to you, to bring you some of God's peace. I remember right after Grant died, a friend saw me and hurting a friend from church, came up to me on a Sunday and said, I, uh, I know you're going through a lot right now. I just would love if we could go grab lunch sometime. I didn't know him all that well, but I was so moved by that. And now Kurt Vanderbilt's become a friend who's closer than a brother to, to me just because he wanted to enter in to that pain with me. So I just encourage you, try to make room to receive those friends right, who love you enough to enter into your grief, into your shock. And don't judge the ones who don't show up. They might be dealing with their own pain, their own situation that they're going through. The last thing I want to say we talked about, we, we would talk about, is it possible to prepare for shock? Is it possible to prepare for these sorts of things? And, and I just want to say, uh, we absolutely believe it is here at Orchfield Church. In fact, it's our mission. It, it's one of our key strategies to help you be able to prepare for these storms. And we do it in a couple of ways. We cultivate stronger relationships and we grow deeper spiritual roots. We were driving to California. We're heading through eastern Colorado, middle of the night, and this object comes barreling at us about 30 miles per hour across the freeway and our car just smokes it and there's twigs and stuff flying everywhere it was a tumbleweed right and it's just it just got smoke we carried that thing with us all the way through utah all the way almost out to california but that's us right when we don't put our roots down deep into god's soil by engaging in his word And when we don't have friends to anchor us, when we aren't belonging in community that can help us stand firm, this is the strategy for us to accomplish our mission at Orchard Hill Church. We want to help you do both of those things. We want to help you engage in the Word. We want to help you invest in others. We want to help you belong in community. We want to help you cry out and worship God. So if you're in need of that, I would just encourage you, that connection card that Doug talked about, is a great place for you to write a word to say, I I need some help. I want your prayers. I want to get connected in community. Our face-to-face team, here every week, there are people you can talk to who want to help you get connected so that, one, you can walk through the shock here now, but also so that you can prepare. 
to deal with those storms that will eventually roll into our lives. And if you are a leader and you're in a strong, healthy place right now, we could use your help. We encourage you to come in and say, hey, I want to help with this. Uh, We will train, we will encourage, we will help you develop so that you can become a helper of others. Would you pray with me? Father, one of the ways that we define belonging community right now, or right here at Orchard, is, is to commit to a group of people to share our life and faith in Jesus, to bless a broken world. I know there are many people in this room who are broken right now. Father, uh, I pray that as a church we could serve them well, that we could enter into their pain. But more importantly, Lord, that they would see that you are in the pain with them right now, that they would be able to turn to you and cry out, that you would deliver them in this time of need. You are a good, good Father. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.